This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, you're listening to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Friday, March the 10th. Everything that Tom and myself have been up to while Richard has been off pretending to get an education in Edinburgh. Whilst the rugby's on. Sure he is. Right, let's have a look at what's been on the docket this morning. We've had an interview with Rashid Ali Al-Ansari. He's the Group Chief Executive of Al-Ansari Financial Services. They are the people who have announced an IPO, the first IPO, in fact, for Dubai of 2023. We've found out why they're doing it and why he wants to be an example for other private sector companies. We've also been looking at the latest aviation numbers and what they might mean for ticket prices with Kashif Khalid, who's the regional director for this region, Middle East and Africa, at IATA. And the big talking point of this morning was whether or not you want someone to give you a cold towel and a refreshing drink when you check into a hotel or whether you'd rather have it done all online and just walk through. Jamira is introducing mobile hotel check-in here in the UAE. We've been speaking to the head of IT for the Jamira Group, Sanjay Sharma. And the text lines are busy debating whether or not we all want a bit of extra attention when we check into a hotel. Well, you can check in a lot faster at Jumeirah because they are launching mobile check-in for their hotels, starting with the big three, uh, the Jumeirah Beach Hotel, the Burj and Emirates Towers, before rolling Jumeirah Mobile Check-In across the 13 hotels and resorts that they have here in the UAE. We are going to be speaking in about 30 minutes um, to someone from Jumeirah uh, to find out how this is going to work and why they're doing it and how, and this is the important bit, they're going to keep it on brand because it has been quite the debate this morning. In a nutshell, what happens is you either use the Jumeirah website or use a mobile application to do all of the, here's my passport, scan this, scan that, credit card, you know, holder, whatever for the minibar, whatever it is you have to do when you check into a hotel so that it is done before you get to the hotel and someone just hands you a key. Bit of a debate in the business breakfast studio as to whether this is a good thing or not. I am happy with it. The last time I checked into a hotel, not a Jumeirah hotel, funnily enough, Actually, second time before last. You know what I mean. Went on a staycation, did the whole form-filling thing, and they said to me, very nice hotel it was too, by the way, they said, do you want to take a seat while we do this? And I just thought, no, I don't want to be here long enough to have to sit down when I check in. I'm not, get, I'm not getting comfortable. Make it quick. I want to go and lie by the pool. Um, but Tom, you were saying that the towel and the hello, sir, and the upgrade and the nice to see you again... It's part of the experience. Is it part of the experience? I don't know. It's part of, I suppose, the, our traditional understanding of five-star customer service um, somewhere in the hospitality manual uh, that has been passed down through the ages. There is somebody saying that, yeah, if, look, if you check into a and b you, keys outside, help yourself, you make sure you're back by 11 o'clock, don't wake up the neighbours. You know, it's, there's no frills um, uh, whatsoever. If you're checking into a five-star property, um, of which, of course, Jumeirah are well-renowned uh, here in the region and further afield, uh, then a lot of people do want a little bit more personal 
attention. Now, it's not for everyone, because as you're saying, you know, if you're a business traveller, you want efficiency. And efficiency is getting into your room as quickly as possible, getting that shirt out of the bag as quickly as possible, hanging it, you know, unpacking, getting your bits and pieces done, um, because you're there to take, to take advantage of your time. If you're checking in on a vacation, is it therefore part of your experience that a lot of people love the oh mr and mrs uh, uh, jones it's lovely to see you again uh, great to have you back it's been a year uh, same room uh, would you like that and i know that serena was talking about that a little bit earlier on it is, it's almost like going it, and i know we keep relating this back to airline uh, and airlines are now doing online um, booking etc and you know you can book it you get the text message don't you before saying will you book in online and uh, make sure you book in line to make sure you get into the the, the airplane quicker i always argue and i've sort of got a thing with uh, the, the, I agree with uh, serena to a certain degree on this one where a i don't see the point of checking in online because invariably you have to end up at the counter anyway uh, because there's something wrong with your bag or there's some of this, and so it's not going to make it the, the process any quicker. And B, if you check in online, then you've negated the opportunity of being upgraded already because you checked in and the, the computer's got you in there and it's, uh, it's done. They said, OK, no problem at all. No need. You can't just bat your eyelids and say, oh, you never <laughs> guess what's happened. Um, yeah, my cat died earlier. I'm feeling awful. With the possible very minute attempt of getting an upgrade, much like Serena was saying or about the hotel. Or even access to the lounge, saying, look, we can't give you an upgrade, but um, go and... But in- you know what? You look nice. Here's a little <laughs> access yeah, exactly. to the ground. Oh, I disagree with that, because even with the airline check-in, you still have to go and pick up the ticket. And, you know, and they look at your passport and all the rest of it. It's not 100% automated, because security, airlines. And that's when they, you know, you do have... The, the upgrade conversation. If you're checking in online for a hotel, they can see who you are, they can see your details, they can see you've stayed four times before, they can see you're very important, Mr. Urquhart, and then when you go to pick up your key, they can say, ah, we have upgraded you to a sea view suite. I think, though, that personal interaction... It's Rather than like begging. For, uh, uh, I've got kids, so rocking up to the hotel... If somebody takes note of that, it's the, oh, she was really nice. And then it kind of passes down to the rest of the staff. Mrs. Kelly in room la 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 is actually really, really nice. Give her that extra bit of love. That's not true. And yes, it is. And then, um, oh, by the way, we see you've got kids. Did you know there is a paddle thing this afternoon on the beach that they probably really enjoy or a a little disco? And then maybe you and your husband can go and relax somewhere else. And, you know, it's, it's giving that extra information that you might not get. I'm sorry. Once hotels replace their staff, with robots and it's all automated then there's no point but so long as there's somebody still talking to me and saying are you having a nice time are you enjoying your stay they're still handing you the keys it's a person they're just not taking your passport off to a back room to photocopy it for 20 minutes I, I, yeah. Lots of people have their say on this one. Uh, somebody's texted in saying Premier and have been doing this for years I think that goes to my point um, affordable or, or mid-range hotels um, uh have been doing this for many years because it's all about efficiency. It's all about getting into the room as quickly as possible, getting out of the room as quickly as possible. You're, you're, you're optimising your time. Luxury, I would suggest, is a bit more of the, about the, the sort of customer experience. Uh, a lot of people also getting in touch with their thoughts, Kyron, saying, I think it's nice to have the option if you don't like the cues and the faff 
on a luxury check-in, then do the mobile option. If you do like the interaction, go for it as well. Juan's been in touch saying, give people the option. That is what luxury is all about. Amanda says, online check-in for me has proved useless. Each time there is no designated area for key pickup, and so you end up stuck queuing behind everyone else checking in and checking out. Uh, so thank you for all of those. Uh, uh, and more. Can more mistakes be made this way? Like, for example, you know how you can go all inclusive or you have breakfast included. And if you just go straight in with the online check in and you're like, well, what time's breakfast? Normally they'll tell you that. And most people I know it's standard. But the chance of like, well, actually, we don't have it down here that you have breakfast included in your stay, Mrs. Kelly. And I'll be like, but I paid for it. And then <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just thinking more mistakes could possibly be made. Am I thinking too deeply about this? You're not. Uh, here's some more thoughts on this one you uh, are we have got uh, Wojcik who's been in touch Wojcik's a hotelier uh, this morning listening in good to hear from you Wojcik good morning as with most things these days to check in uh, experience requirement is a highly personal preference it's up to us hoteliers to make sure that we cater to all needs and be flexible when we're entering through our, ga- our, our gamut of services have a great day watch it thank you very much indeed for that and special mention for Bob good on you Bob thanks so much indeed Tom it's annoying people like you that get my goat. <laughs> Love you, Bob. It's the people not checking in online and securing their seats as a family that then ask others to move seats because they aren't seated together. Be considerate. Bob, thank you very much indeed for that. The only time I don't check in online is when I'm travelling alone, so I don't know if that makes it any different. Oh, we are going to be speaking Sorry, to the head of Sorry, IT. <laughs> not my fault, Bob. From Jamaica. The aviation woes of the world are not my fault, Bob. (laughs) I think you're lovely, Tom. (laughs) I can't see Tom being the person who argues to sit with his family, if I'm perfectly honest, when he's flying. I will go into another class. Very fair point, Brandy. (laughs) Bob, if you came tapping on my shoulder saying, Would you mind? I'd be. Before, before you'd even ask, just a tap on the shoulder, I'd be up and uh, up in the back of the plane. Take my seat. Yeah. Would <laughs> anyone you have a want class? the seat? Would Does you anyone have a class? Want the anybody? Seat? Anybody? <laughs> I want nothing to do with them. He's never seen them before in my life. <laughs> Disclaimer, he does love his family. He really does. <laughs> uh, we are going to speak to Sanjay Sharma, the head of IT from Jumeirah Group, uh, in about 15, 20 minutes on the business breakfast, uh, just to tell us how it's going to work and how they're going to keep that service uh, Jumeirah level up. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. We were looking at one of the big stories of the week, and that is the Alan Sari Financial Services IPO, the first one off the block for the DFM, the Dubai financial market. I've been speaking to Rashid Ali Al-Ansari. He's the group chief executive of Al-Ansari Financial Services. And I asked him why they're looking to go public. The reason why we're doing this IPO is uh, really to preserve the successes that we have had over the uh, five and a half decades uh, and really reposition the company for its next phase of growth. In the process, we also uh, anticipate to be an example for uh, other family uh, businesses that are considering to list and encourage them to do the same. Uh, We are very proud and honored to be the first uh, uh, company that lists on the DFM this year in 2023. I'm sure uh, there will be many to come. Uh, and if I'm if I'm not mistaken, we might be the first uh, family member other than banks because the banks are mandated by the uh, by the central bank regulation that they have to list anyway. But uh, for us, uh, it was an option and, and, and we took it. So I, I believe that we are a first true family member that uh, 
listed on the on the stock exchange of the UAE by choice. There's an interesting thing you say about wanting to be an example for for others. What stage did you have to get to as a company before it became a viable option? And what stage did the, the markets have to be at? So we were uh, discussing um, uh, listing uh, the company publicly for, for a few years now. Uh, the family has decided uh, that, the, uh, uh, that the, the, the size of the company right now and the market conditions and the familiarity of the investment community about IPOs is an opportune time for us to consider uh, a listing at this moment. We are a regulated uh, company by the Central Bank of the UAE, so there are quite a lot of regulations, especially after the 2018 uh, overhaul and revamp of the regulation that regulates our industry. Um, uh, so, um, so it became easy when we looked at the uh, requirements to actually list on a stock exchange. We were we were already eighty percent compliant. We do have a good com- you know compliance structure. Uh, we have uh, uh, we have all the uh, uh, rules and regulations in place. Uh, um, uh, we have delegated authorities, uh, we have the different departments segregated, we have uh, uh, talents, uh, and we have uh, subject matter experts in the organization. So we were really fitting, uh, fitting the, uh, the criteria by 80%. So it was, a, uh, it was an easy journey for us, relatively. Okay, well, let's talk first as we look at your, your plans and where you are. At what kind of financial health Al Ansari is in at the moment as it does go for this IPO? So uh, the company is in a very healthy position. Uh, we have crossed the 1.2 billion uh, dirham mark in terms of operating income last year. Um, uh, this is this you know uh, gives an indication of the size uh, we have. Uh, we have a 57% EBITDA margin, which is very healthy um, in, uh, for for companies, and it's actually a model for companies and, and, and peers in, in our sector. Um, but the true thing uh, that makes uh, the company unique, you either have companies that are very much focused on growth and they don't give you much dividends because they're in the growth phase, or you have companies that are mature and they give you a steady dividends, but there is not much growth uh, potential. Where the unique about our company is that it has not only two, but three things. One, it's, it's on a high growth trajectory. It, uh, it, it provides generous uh, dividends. And at the same time, it's a CapEx-like model. So I haven't seen many uh, listed companies in, in the region that actually offer all these three in one company. So that's what uh, makes us unique. Um, in terms of operation, just to give you uh, an indication of the market share that we have, in terms of remittances, we have about 38% market share in our industry. Um, just to put it into a global perspective, if you take all the uh, personal outward remittances that happen across the world, our company handles 2.6% of that volume. This puts it into perspective the sheer size uh, that we have on a global level. What are you doing to protect that remittance business, though, as we see more low-cost offerings, fintech offerings, prepaid cards, people using their uh, mobile phones and different apps to transfer money cheaper? How do you make sure that you are tapping that new low-cost market? All right. So in reality, um, uh, a competition can only come from the digital uh, channel because we dominate the brick and mortar model. We are by far the largest exchange company here in the UAE. Um, and uh, uh, we have already concluded an acquisition in Kuwait as well, which, which puts us, once it's concluded and once, uh, once we have the uh, Central Bank of Kuwait uh, blessings in order to finalize it, we will be the fourth largest player in the Kuwaiti market as well. 
Um, so from a brick and mortar model, we dominate those, those markets, but uh, in, in true reality, competition can come from fintechs. And when it comes to fintechs, we have already taken the steps long time back. In 2016, we started the digital journey uh, and uh, currently our mobile app is rated uh, number one by Forbes, not only in the UAE, but also in the GCC. So this really shows how important fintech is for us. There are many layers uh, of protection that we have in terms of competition from the fintechs. Uh, uh, one is that our app is satisfying the customer base. So there is no app that provides a revolutionary kind of uh, uh, service or customer journey. Uh, so we don't have much uh, worry there. But uh, what's, what's actually protecting us is the cost of remittance as well. The United Arab Emirates is one of the cheapest countries or the lowest cost countries in the world, according to the World Bank, when it comes to remitting money. Just to put it into perspective, the World Bank typically sends $500 uh, from different countries around the world and, cost, and measures the cost of remittance uh, uh, as a percentage of that. The global average is 4%, whereas in the UAE, it's less than half, it's 1.9%. So this gives you an indication that even when they compete on price with us, there is much. Uh, there is not much kind of you know motivation for the customer to actually uh, move from our environment to there. So these are the layers uh, of of protection that we have built throughout the years. And tell me about your plans for Al Ansari Digital Pay. All right. So uh, we have realized that uh, there is a, a big segment of our customer base, almost seventy percent of the customer base that we have are typically unbanked, uh, are uh, low-income uh, workers. They, they typically send 1,500 dirhams or less. Um, uh, so that is a segment that still prefers the traditional model and they would like to come to our branches and, and have a face-to-face -face interaction to conduct their transaction. Uh, sometimes because they like to, but uh, most of the time it's because they are unbanked and they are unable to conduct transactions online. And uh, we have decided uh, basically as soon as the central bank has opened uh, the application for um, uh, the value stored product, uh, which is typically the wallet, we have applied for it. Uh, and, uh, and once we have that license, this basically serves that segment of society which are typically unbanked and, not, are, and unable to reach the banking services. So the salaries will come into these wallets. We can also partner with the bank in order to provide the microfinancing, which is, which is uh, really needed for that segment of society. And we cross-sell our products like the remittance business um, to them. So it's a win-win situation for everyone. Mm, that is Rashid Alansari. He is the group CEO of Alansari Financial Services. They are the people who yesterday morning at around this time, announced that they were going to be the first to buy IPO of 2023, offering 10% uh, there of share capital in a sale a little bit later this month. More on that to come, I'm sure. But very interesting what he was saying there about wanting to set a bit of an example for private sector companies um, to get more of them listed on the market here, which is certainly one of the aims of the uh, big IPO drive that we have been seeing in this region. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Well, we are very numbers-based this morning and some of the numbers we're going through are air transport numbers. The latest figures coming up from IATA for January saw global passenger traffic up 67% compared to the year before, but cargo falling by nearly 15%. Very pleased to be joined on the line now by Kashif Khaled, who's the Regional Director for the Middle East and Africa at IATA. Kashif, good morning. Thanks for speaking to us. Good morning. 
So a mixed bag of numbers there, but let's start with the people. Uh, Passenger traffic continues to recover, but what does that recovery actually look like? Thank you, Brandy. So yes, in January 2023, uh, based on revenue passenger kilometers, we saw traffic rise nearly 67% compared to January uh, last year. And now globally speaking, traffic is at about 84.2% of January 2019 levels. So very healthy recovery, largely led by the recovery in Asia Pacific, as well as the regions performing quite, quite strongly as well. So 84% of pre-pandemic levels, when will we actually get back to where we were uh, before COVID, do you think? So I think in in the last couple of months with China opening up and abandoning its stringent zero COVID policy, we're going to reach that uh, pre-pandemic level very quickly. But again, in the region as well as in Africa and uh, Asia Pacific, we've seen stronger recovery compared to other regions with more network uh, capacity being added. But also importantly, the load factor uh, going back above the 75 to 80 percent mark, which is a healthy point for the aviation industry to be in. How much of an issue is capacity? We're hearing about shortages of planes, shortages um, sometimes of people. Is that what's stopping us getting back to 2019 levels? So in many markets, um, capacity challenges are because of uh, labor shortages, also because of of uh, shifting demands by by passengers, as well as airlines not being able to a support uh, the the infrastructure as well as a result of either airport shortages or labor shortages for support functions. But I'm privileged to say again in the Middle East, you know, we've seen traffic rise nearly 97.7% compared to January uh, last year, and we've seen you know quite quite a steep increase in capacity with airlines increasing uh, frequencies, adding new routes, and then also a very healthy increase of about 20% for load factor, nearly 80% for the Middle East region. And all of this, of course, has resulted in some quite high ticket prices. How long do you think prices will remain elevated? Well, you know, it's a double-edged sword, but in the region, we've had a very strong, um, both uh, VFR traffic, uh, but also uh, the MICE market for the Middle East region has been very strong. In Dubai, uh, you know, in recent years, ever since the pandemic uh, ended, we've had uh, Expo 2020, we've uh, seen FIFA in the region. Uh, give rise to traffic, but also demand. And more recently, especially in the Emirate of Dubai, we've seen mega conferences taking place that have attracted a lot of demand, which has had an impact on uh, ticket prices. Let me put that another way um, then. What's going to have to happen to bring them down, Kashif, or is this a new normal? Well, we're seeing capacity increase and we're seeing healthy load factors. As airlines add more capacity as well as uh, more routes, we're going to see a stability in, in the market for ticket prices. But during peak travel demand, when supply is relatively limited, we're, we're going to be still paying a little bit of a premium for ticket prices. Cargo, let's turn our attention to the stuff in the belly of the plane. Capacity is up, but global demand seems to be down 15% on what the IATA boss Willie Walsh has called persistent uncertainties. What's the biggest problem there? So yes, we've seen capacity increase uh, marginally is about 4%. And this was the first time we've seen uh, it increase since October 2022. But when we're, when we're talking about the environment, we've seen um, you know stability of new export orders um, based on our manufacturing index. But as, as a result of that, we've also seen a an impact from competing markets such as the maritime trade industry. We're also seeing global trades uh, decrease by nearly 3% in December, and this was a second uh, monthly decline. 
And then also, many in many markets, the inflation is is not helping. It's it's different for the G7 countries where inflation has reduced from 7.4 to 6.7 percent. But in many demand-led economies, especially in emerging markets, we are seeing quite high inflation. So even though we've seen somewhat of of um, demand down by up to 15 percent and capacity go up, we're we're in some challenging uh, business conditions. But we're quite hopeful with China opening up their their routes. We're going to see both capacity, but also demand, especially from emerging markets that do a lot of business with China, such as India, the African continent and South America. Can we take these these cargo numbers, that 15% drop in global demand, as any kind of bellwether about the global economy, Keshav? How should we be reading it? So typically uh, in the past pre-pandemic, we used to see cargo as an indicator for passenger traffic. But what we've seen is an inverse relationship, interestingly, ever since COVID between passenger and cargo traffic. As mentioned in the Middle East region, we're uh, we're in an extremely buoyant position when it comes to uh, the growth of passenger uh, traffic capacity. And if we look at the performance of most of the airlines, almost every single airline in the Middle East region has announced record profits. If we talk about airports in the UAE, Dubai recently announced uh, a return to nearly 66 million uh, passengers for their 2022 numbers. But it's also important to mention the performance of airports like Abu Dhabi and Sharjah that are back up to the 16 and 13.3 million uh, passengers. So in terms of overall numbers, we're nearing that 100 million passenger mark for the UAE. So it is, in my opinion, an inverse relationship currently between cargo and passenger traffic. And I don't think we can see a correlation like we used to previously. Kashif Khaled, always a delight to speak to you. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Kashif Khaled is the Regional Director for the Middle East and Africa at IATA, the air transport body, talking to us about those numbers for January. Global passenger traffic rising 67% compared to the year before, but cargo falling by nearly 15%. And when we measure where we are now in terms of people on planes compared to where we were in the same month back in 2019, so pre-pandemic levels, we're at 84% percent of getting back to normal. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where we have set people talking this morning. Forget the earnings season, forget rate rises, forget jobs data. Hotel check-in has been the big discussion topic of the day on the Business Breakfast. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lone Street, that heartbreak hotel. Yep, not a heartbreak, <laughs> but a digitised check-in. That's what Jamera is going to be offering you. Uh, the hotel company looking to take check-in out of the lobby and online. So many messages on this this morning uh, that we had to get the people behind it on our line to talk to us. Sanjay Sharma is head of IT for Jamera Group, joining us this morning from India. Sanjay, it's lovely to speak to you. Thanks. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to talk about such interesting topic early in the morning. Tell us what exactly you're doing. Um, so if we just talk about the main objective, we just have a very simple objective. We need to ensure that how we can introduce or how we can invest in new and innovative solutions just to, with one simple objective of enhancing our guest experience. So that's a simple objective. But in order to achieve this objective, we need to do quite a lot, or quite a lot of hard work. And one of that is the online check-in. We believe that it we provide such kind of capability to our guests where they can check in at one of our properties 48 hours before they actually arrive at the property. Then we can actually enhance their arrival experience 
and they can provide a very seamless uh, experience uh, when they arrive at the property. So this is the summary of what we are doing. Tell me, will people have a choice between old-fashioned check-in and your newfangled check-in? Yeah, you know, at the end of the day, luxury is all about options. So this is what we do to our, for our guests. We will provide them the option whether they would like to go with the traditional check-in option or whether they want to do the online check-in. Uh, at the end of the day, it will be guest choice. How do you keep the standards up? This is the biggie we're debating this morning. How do you give someone a five-star luxury experience if you're not faffing over them at the front door? <laughs> that's that's a good question. You know, if you don't mind, I just want you know. Basically, it's not me probably who can answer this question. It's the guests who are answering this question. And I want to narrate you one case study, if I may call it, which just uh, took place a few days back, where one of our guests actually checked in online at Jumeirah Emirates Towers, and this individual actually opted for hotel transfer also, which means that our hotel guest was aware at what time this individual is actually coming at uh, the property. When the car was about to reach the hotel, our hotel manager was waiting outside the main entrance with a key in her hand to welcome the guest with a name. Imagine the experience, you know, when the guest steps out of the car, this guest is actually greeted with the name and with a key of the room, and then the hotel manager accompany them to their room straight. Trust me, when this individual left the uh, hotel, they gave a feedback that this is the best ever check-in experience they have experienced in any hotel. And that's what, you know, the summary is not the check-in experience that is important. It is the arrival experience which is important. And we will ensure that that is not compromised. Sanjay, one of the things our newsreader Serena Kelly is worried about very quickly is that she won't get a chance for an upgrade if she's already checked in online. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, basically, uh, this is just a second experience, second option which we provide to our guests, but all other things which we do to elevate our guest experience uh, remain same. So there is nothing which changes in that front. So what kind of time frame are we looking for this, Sanjay? How, when will it be rolled out across all the Jumeirah hotels? Uh, so right now we are already live in uh, three hotels and there are other two hotels uh, in which we'll be launching out uh, uh, this week. In summary, uh, basically for all the hotels in Dubai, we will be launching it next in next one quarter. Could it go beyond Dubai, do you think? Uh, we will definitely cover all the hotels in UAE. Uh, we have to work with uh, these regulatory requirements uh, of other reasons before we actually extend it to the uh, uh, hotels outside UAE as well. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Joining us on the line this morning from India, Sanjay Sharma, Head of IT at the Jumeirah Group, speaking to us about that mobile check-in that has got so many people talking this morning. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.